The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief over at arrowheadpride.com. And I'm once again joined by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, how are we doing? Week 16, December 22nd. I remain grateful that I have a job where every day is hat day. <laughs> An inside joke from before. I was mentioning to John, I, I'm lucky enough and fortunate enough to do TV and to be on these Zoom calls with the Chiefs. And normally, I am not granted the luxury of wearing a hat. On Tuesdays, there's no visual, which is great. Which I wish it was that way for me every day. But on Tuesdays, I can wear a hat. So I got a hat on today for the podcast. It makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. And so I'm expecting and projecting a good podcast for you today. On this show, we'll go through some news. There's actually some relevant news today. Sometimes we'll do this show when it's Tuesday and we're in a dead area, but we got some news to talk about. We got some New Orleans Saints marinated takeaways. It's been two days since that bat game, as the Saints like to call it. So we'll discuss some of that. Take a break. We have Andy Reid in the roundup from Monday. He spoke to the media on Monday. We'll name our questions heading into this big Chiefs-Falcons week. It's big for one side, not so big for the other. And then, of course, the best Chiefs thing I heard all week. We'll wrap up the show. But let's not bury the lead any longer. My goodness, the Pittsburgh Steelers, what a train wreck. This thing was chugging along 11-0, and they lost their third game in a row on Monday Night Football to the Cincinnati Bengals. They don't even have Joe Burrow. What are they doing? Anyway, good for the Chiefs. John, you do a playoff picture article for us at Arrowhead Pride. If you're listening to this right now, it's up. You can go read it if you want. But what's the lowdown? Where do the Chiefs stand when it comes to that lone AFC buy? Well, right now, the Chiefs are sitting pretty. We're into magic number territory now. Uh, any Chiefs win of the last two games or any Bills or Steelers loss will hand the first buy, uh, the first seed of the AFC playoffs to the Chiefs. It hardly gets simpler than that when you've got three teams that are still contending for a shot at that at that single buy. Um, it can get a little more complicated if you want it to. Uh, if the Chiefs were to lose their last two games, there are possibilities that the three teams could end up in a tie. 
However, this is like a one in a thousand shot. I mean, right. literally, I did the math on this. And the odds that the three teams would end up with a 13 and three tie at the top of the AFC are exceedingly low. If it were to happen, the tiebreakers get down to like the fourth level where we're talking about um, strength of victory, which is the yeah. uh, added records of all the teams that you beat. And that is an unknown factor at this point. All the games for the rest of the league will enter into that. Uh, and so we can't really make a judgment about what that will look like. But if you look at the, the probabilities, even if the Chiefs lose out, the Steelers win out, the Bills win out, and we get that 13-3 and three tie, the Chiefs have a 3-4 and four chance to get the bye anyway because they right. already have a good, uh, a good lead in this strength of victory tiebreaker. And most of the remaining schedule will impact it, but the odds are that it'll fall towards the Chiefs. So, I mean, it, you could hardly get closer to winning the bye without actually winning it, and we have the Steelers to thank for it. Right. The Chiefs right now, in other words, are 99% to get the bye. You know, it's that 9.999. Yeah. yeah. If you remember elementary school when your teacher was trying to explain to you the infinity decimal, that's what's after the decimal <laughs> for the Chiefs is like that infinity thing. So this thing is done. I, unless something unbelievable happened, we have all the rundown of it at Arrowhead Pride. Dot com. It's funny that NFC teams get involved when you're talking about strength of schedule. Really confusing. What will happen, most likely, is the Chiefs will beat the Falcons and this thing will be over. And then the Chiefs should be in a position to rest some starters uh, heading into the playoffs. That week, six, week 17 game will be meaningless with Justin Herbert probably facing, I would guess, against Chad Henney, which because he was injured last year, this will be his first start in like six or seven years. It, it, it is projecting. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, though. I understand the Chiefs do need to take care of business against the Falcons, but they could use the rest. And that, of course, extends to the running back room. Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the Saints game ends up having a high ankle sprain and a hip strain. John, I practiced that a few times, and I think I got it right. And so... <laughs> You did nicely. Very well. What you have with the running back here is missing a good bit of time. The reports from Ian Rappaport are that the Chiefs are optimistic he would be available for the playoffs. The Chiefs are fortunate that the playoffs probably won't start until the division round for them. So I think that increases the chances. I still think that's a little soon for a high ankle sprain, but I can see where they would want to be optimistic. It really does seem that they're clearly going to take him off of his feet for the next four weeks or so. Well, they were optimistic that they would get Laurent Duvernay-Tardif back for the playoffs last year, and they didn't. Uh, they kept dancing around about it, and he never played in the postseason, even though at the end of the season they were talking as if he had a good chance to get back in there. So we may not see Edwards Delaire before the season is over, but thankfully the Chiefs have a really good running back behind him in Le'Veon Bell. So um, I'm not too worried about it. I, I, I was funny this morning as I was going through the power rankings uh, for the NFL uh, writers around the country, and several of them mentioned Edward Zolaire's injury uh, as being a big problem for the Chiefs. But it's not as if the Chiefs have really depended upon him all that much, and I don't see any reason why Bell couldn't be the guy to do it for him. Right. I think they're slightly different backs, but... 
weird to say this, you can make a case that Bell actually at this stage, and I'm not saying eventually Clyde's not going to be the guy and in a perfect spot for Kansas City. At this stage, for what the Chiefs need out of the running back position is someone with still some juice and who's a good pass protector. You can make a case that maybe Bell is better suited for that. I know that's a very odd take, and I actually really yeah. like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but I think for yeah, this run right now, Bell actually might be a better option. We will get to Andy Reid and more of him in the second segment, but this was something I actually asked Andy about on Monday. Yeah, well, you, you got yeah, you got um, you know a few guys in there, so I mean, it's uh, uh, I, I think we're okay at that spot, uh, and. Le'Veon, I felt like the last couple of weeks, he, he's, um, well, let me preface it with this. He's very smart. So don't, this has nothing to do with that part. He's, he's really intelligent and he loves playing. So that's the positive part. And that's why he's been able to pick it up so fast, but just where you kind of know your guys and then the blocking schemes, you got to learn those and you have to have enough reps on them to get that feel that these guys have. And um, so I, I, you know, I just, that's where I wished I had him just a little bit earlier, but, but we're good. I mean, he's, he's in a good place. He, he's, uh, he, he can see it and feel it now. And, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll be okay there if, if Clyde, you know, can't go. And, um, if Clyde can, then we've got, you know, we, we've still got him in there rotating and that's, that's been a beneficial. So. So what I anticipate here is Le'Veon Bell to be the guy. I think that Daryl Williams will also be in the mix. I don't think this is a scenario where suddenly Le'Veon Bell turns into this bell cow 80% back. I think it's going to be something similar to what we've seen with Bell and Clyde. I think Bell will be out there for 60 65%. I think we see Daryl Williams for... Uh, 35, 40%, and they go on. Darwin Thompson mixed there. Chiefs are fortunate to have that depth in Thompson. And then they made an additional move on Tuesday, today, by bringing in Elijah McGuire, who was on the practice squad last year, didn't make the Chiefs out of camp this year, spent some time with the Cowboys and the Dolphins. Dolphins wave him last week. He's available. McGuire now on the practice squad. That is getting to your deep, deep, deep roster. He hasn't had an NFL snap since 2018, so he would only be in an emergency situation. But I've talked to some people who have liked McGuire. I think the Chiefs are okay at running back, and that's not to say that Clyde Edwards-Alaire is not going to be an asset. I think this is a well-built depth by Brett Beach and the personnel staff. Well, and it's because the Chiefs uh, always want to have that kind of depth at running back. Uh, this is one of the positions that Andy Reid consistently says, you can't have enough of these guys. Yeah. And history has shown that he's right. Um, throughout Andy Reid's tenure, they've had lots of running backs in there for depth, and they've frequently had to go back to the second or third running back for much of the season. So uh, they've handled this just the way they should. They've got a guy that they want to be their guy going forward. They have another guy that they'll get back next year who will be a clear number two behind Edward Zolaire. And then a couple of other guys that can get things right. done. So it, they've really done a terrific job at this position. Beach has really stacked that position too. And I I think the Chiefs really like Le'Veon Bell. I know that it 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 had seemed like a foregone conclusion that he just walks after this year. And I just don't know 
how they would fit him in the salary cap for, I think, the money. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, let's be honest, he likes money like all of us. Uh, could they pay him enough for him to want to maybe stay here? I I wonder. I, I Probably more likely he moves on, but I, I think I have a little wonder as to whether they could work some magic and figure something out. I agree. I think that I think that's at least a possibility. Let's not forget that Bell is still getting big paychecks from other teams. Yeah. It's not like he's only making money that the Chiefs are paying him. And I believe that continues into next season as well. I'd, I'd have to stop. I didn't look that up this morning, but I, I think that next year he'll have some paychecks coming from the Jets. And so that might make it easier for the Chiefs to uh, figure out a way to keep him around at a very small impact to their cap. Um, he's playing for the vet minimum in Kansas City. And if you had asked me before the season began, what are the odds that we'll get Le'Veon Bell for the vet minimum this year? I would have said zero. Right. Uh, you know, this has just out, worked out very well for the Chiefs in their favor. And, um, and kudos to them for recognizing the situation and jumping on it. You, and and I and I'll also say that um, you know the Chiefs were very high on Lashawn McCoy as well. It's just that uh, it didn't turn out to be as happy a marriage as we would like to see. He made too many mistakes on the field, but we haven't seen that from Bell thus far. Yeah, he has been. Uh, he, good. He's, and not to climb all over you, but that is a nice tease for something we have later on in the show, and we'll just we'll leave it there for now. Other news that we have to talk about, and I'm going to make this really quick since it doesn't matter at all, is seven Pro Bowlers <laughs> for. <laughs> The Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, Eric Fisher, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, Frank Clark. And before you make the joke, Pete, they're going to be busy. No, they're not because it's a virtual Pro Bowl this year. They're going to be doing it on Madden. So if there's a chance if they want to be involved, they will be able to since even if they're in the Super Bowl, if it's virtual, you never know what kind of involvement some of these guys will have. And I think it should stay virtual forever. We were talking about this on the radio this morning. I don't think there's a reason to play this game. I make it of honor that the fans vote on maybe get some of the interesting guys in the league together for the skill competition that they've been doing the past few years. But I just, I, I think it's just such a, I don't want to call it a waste, but it just seems so little in importance to what football is as a whole and the playoffs. And it almost seems like a distraction more than anything. Well, I'd have to agree with you about that. I, f I find myself kind of surprised having had that laid out in front of me that I'm willing to just jump in and say, yeah, let's just keep it, keep doing it this way. Uh, and my reason for that is that unlike baseball, where in any given game, you have a very low risk of sustaining an injury, an all-star game in the middle of the season isn't that big a deal. But that's not true with the NFL. Uh, even when you're out right. there not working very hard at the game, which is pretty much what the Pro Bowl has been uh, over all these years, um, it's possible for you to get hurt. And there's just too much at stake for these players to go out there and play an exhibition game uh, that means nothing and uh, doesn't even allow them to get ready for the season, which at least the preseason game does, uh, and risk the chance of getting a career-ending injury. So I'm in favor of, of, uh, of what we're doing this season. I mean, after all, you know, there's precedent for this in other kinds of football. 
they have college All-Americans, but there's no college All-American game. Right. Well, why does the Pro Bowl have to be a game? Why and can't it just be? There's already All-Pros, too. And the All-Pros sure. are a little bit more deserved because it seems like they go to the right people. I, I, James Robinson is among the best running backs in the AFC as far as yardage and all-purpose yardage, and he was snubbed in this. I know that fans, Chiefs fans were upset that somehow Frank Clark made it. <laughs> he doesn't deserve it. <laughs> Mitch Schwartz is another example of a guy who's been named an All-Pro several times and has never been to a Pro Bowl, of course, missing this year because of the injury, but still, again, he's never been named to a Pro Bowl. It's just, I, there's just something so silly about the Pro Bowl. And I, I will get off my Pro Bowl soapbox with that. All right. Let's get into this Chiefs-New Orleans Saints game. It's a couple days old now. We have had some time to marinate on it. The Chiefs winning 32-29 to 29 down in New Orleans. And I have some thoughts. John has some thoughts. I'll start with this one. I think the Saints brought back Drew Brees too early. And I wonder... If that 0 for 7 interception start happens with a Taysom Hill, and I wonder if the Saints are more competitive in this football game with a Taysom Hill. I, I didn't think he was ready to go at the beginning of this game. He looked a little bit better toward the end, but even throughout, and including the beginning and, and kind of moving forward, there seemed to be a bit of rust there. And I understand you got to get him back in the mix if you want him to play in the playoffs at a certain point. I just wonder if maybe it, it could have been another week. And you see the final score, 32-29. And Brees had 234 yards. I just think that Taysom Hill could have maybe made the throws that he made. And without an interception and kind of the way the game flows, maybe the Saints have a better chance at winning this football game. Maybe. I'll, I'll agree that maybe that would be possible. But it's kind of an unknown. And frankly... Jason Hill was throwing a lot more interceptions and giving up a lot more turnovers than Drew Brees was. Well, Brees takes care games of the football like the best right. of them. I'm just, there was right. no dynamic factor to Brees. I mean, you could also make a case yes. for that the entire year, though. And But right. it, was, it was amplified with this injury that he came back from, I mean, in my opinion. Yeah, and and I think I think it's a reasonable opinion. I'm not going to disagree with you about it. I think that they did... In hindsight, certainly, bring him back too fast. Right. But I kind of get the logic of it. Um, you know, yeah, you want him to be ready for the postseason, but you also want him to go in in the po play his postseason game without any uh, regular season time to get back from it. So, you know, there's an argument going both ways. And in this particular case, uh, the Saints number didn't come up on it. But, you know, they could have played it a different way and come up with the same result. All right, that's my first takeaway. What do you got for us? I think we saw a little playoff Sammy on Sunday. Um, okay. You know, he wasn't big uh, in the box score. I mean, it was a decent day. Four catches on six targets, 60 yards, 15 yards a catch. That's a, that's a pretty good day for an NFL wide receiver. But when you look at specifically what he did during the game, um, you know, it wasn't a big 80-yard touchdown catch or anything like that. But at one point, he had back-to-back -back catches to get out of a second and 18. On a third and five, he had 20 yards for a first down. On another third down, he drew defensive pass interference for 13 yards. That's always a, a positive result from a play. 
Unfortunately for Sammy, he was penalized himself on the next play and had 10 yards taken back. And then uh, in the fourth quarter, a seven-yard catch for a first down in the drive for a field goal there in the fourth quarter, um, that was a pretty big play in the game. So, you know, Watson, again, isn't making a huge impact in the box score, yeah, but he makes contributions at important moments, and we saw some of that on Sunday. It's weird that some of these Chiefs seem to have internal clocks as to when the playoffs is coming. Sammy Watkins is the <laughs> best example. But if you go to our site and read Craig Stout's review on this game, he said that Frank Clark had one of the better games of his year. And I know that he has been a point of complaints for Chiefs fans throughout the season. And, and good to see signs that these two guys who are important to beating the best teams in the league, like you have to in the playoffs, are starting to turn it on. All right, my next point on this game, our third marinated takeaway of Chiefs Saints is that Patrick Mahomes and the Travis Kelsey mind meld, that extends to that of Tyree Kill. And I looked at that five-yard pass from Mahomes to Hill, and I noted that Dan Arvlosky of ESPN did a nice job on the fly of breaking this down and sort of showed exactly what happened on this play. If you remember... Hill was back and forth in motion. And this had a lot to do with the Saints playing man coverage and getting rid of and shaking Marshawn Lattimore. So Lattimore was sort of following him back and forth. And Hill actually at one point ducks down. And in that moment, behind all the linemen and defenders, Lattimore loses him. And at that second, Mahomes snaps the football. And what I thought was most interesting on this play is it didn't really seem like... Hill had a route of any sort. It was just like leak out and up and see if you can find a way to be an island for me. And he's kind of like looking back and Mahomes hits him. How could you watch film if they're not really running a route on the touchdown? And Mahomes has this thing with Travis Kelsey. And a lot of times you see it on third and long where pressure breaks down. All of a sudden, Mahomes is a little bit on the run, finds a window, looks up, and Kelsey's route is long gone, but there he is just running around, flailing about, open, and Mahomes hits him for the third and 12 conversion. I think you've seen that with Hill. And again, because of that, and because of no route, and because they're just know where each other is going to be, it's impossible to defend. And that extends now to these three guys. And that's a huge reason as to why it is seeming like the Chiefs are going to repeat because it's it's not defendable. Yeah, we hear people talk about chemistry between quarterback and wide receiver, and we tend to think of that as timing. You know, that these guys have thrown a lot of passes and caught a lot of passes in practice and in games, and they're able to do better at it because they've had that experience. But I think in... Th this particular case, we're talking about something else entirely, where the players have been able to figure out what the other guy is thinking, which is kind of astonishing, but that play is really good evidence to that. All right, let's continue on. We got two more takeaways from this game. Your second marinated takeaway, John. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's possible that the Chiefs' offensive line, just being good run blockers, will be enough for the rest of the season. Um, you know, Ron Comp had a terrific article on this, largely based on quotes from the team uh, yesterday. And uh, he took a little heat for it because the article wasn't critical of the, or critical enough, I should say, of the Chiefs' 
uh, inability to pass protect for Patrick Mahomes. And granted, that is a big problem that the Chiefs are sooner or later going to have to address. I've spoken on it. You've spoken on it. We've both written about it. Yep. And it is something the Chiefs are going to have to figure out. But the odds that they can figure that out with the personnel that they have and the injuries they've sustained this season uh, before the end of the season are, well, basically impossible. It's a plug-up job right now. I mean, you're putting a little tape on it until you can go to Home Depot, and you can't go to Home Depot until after the season. Exactly. And so what we saw on Sunday was the Chiefs taking advantage of two situations, that the people they have on the field, on the offensive line, are pretty good run blockers, and opposing teams are going to put most of their players back behind the line of scrimmage to guard against the mind meld of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes because they have no other choice. They don't know where these guys are going. Right. So they got light boxes, some decent run blockers, and what they do, they came up with 172 yards rushing. Now, I don't think that's the way you're, the other teams can beat the Chiefs. I've been consistent about this all along. If you're going to run the ball thinking they can keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines and beat the Chiefs, that's not going to work. The only thing that does work is rushing four, and that's an ideal circumstance for the Chiefs to run the ball and keep those defenders in the back end honest. So this might be a formula that could work for the Chiefs through the postseason. We've seen them have success in this fashion against the Denver Broncos and against the Buffalo Bills where mm-hmm. the line was able to get some push. And all of a sudden, if the Chiefs running backs are getting to you, that's going to open things up for Patrick Mahomes, which is almost a cheat right. code because he's good against double coverage. So I would tend to agree with you on that. More on the offensive line coming up in the next segment. Final takeaway from this game. I thought it was impressive that the Saints had this idea in mind because the Chiefs are really skilled and talented, and as we have mentioned the entire show, tough to defend, they were going to turn this into what they described as a quote-unquote bat game, one in which they bring the wood and have a street fight. And they did. And they were really tough. They are really physical. A lot of times you'll ask Andy Reid after the game about the physicality, and he'll say something like, well, it's physical every week. I kind of prefaced that in my question to him, and he admitted straight up to me. He's like, no, you're right this time. It was physical. They wanted to do this. You saw Cam Jordan throw in a little slap. He shouldn't have, got, have gotten thrown out of the game, but it got to a point where him and Wiley were hand-fighting a little bit, and it got a little testy along the line of scrimmage. You saw them uh, hitting some of the Chiefs' skill position players a little bit harder than maybe you would have. Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey were getting messed with right at the line of scrimmage where they were getting batted in the face. We've seen the Chiefs pushed around in these type of games before, and they just didn't allow it to happen. They kept on grinding and were able to really win what was a brawl. And it's just another game type on the list that this team continues to win. I mean, when you go 13-1... and like the Chiefs have gone. You're going to have to win games in a lot of different fashions. I thought the mm-hmm. game against yeah. the Saints was unique in that way, is that the Saints really dictated the type of game it was. It was indeed physical, but again, Chiefs can win any type of matchup you throw at them, and, and that's been really impressive this year. I think we have to credit the Chiefs for two things here with regard to this the physical nature of this game. One was to communicate to their their players that this was exactly what was going to happen and they were going to have to be prepared to respond to it properly and beat it back in a legal way and still prevail in the game. So that's one thing. The other thing 
would be the choice that they made to keep Andrew Wiley on the field and put Wisniewski in there. These are two of the most hard-nosed guys the Chiefs have that they can put on the offensive line. We spend, we've spent, as we've talked about the problems on the offensive line over the last few weeks, we've thrown out all kinds of things that the Chiefs might do to clean things up on the offensive line, particularly in terms of the pass protection. And Andrew Wiley has often not been in those calculations, but the Chiefs decided to keep him in there. Why? Because he's hard-nosed and he showed it against the Saints. He got Cameron Jordan pissed off enough to take a swing at him and get kicked out of the game. That's something. I'll see this too. And I, I just think it's an interesting point and, and it's our job to sort of figure things out as we go along. I wonder if they're just not wanting to throw Martinez Rankin back into the fire because he profiles better and has played tackle more recently than Andrew Wiley. And I know Andy Reid and, and sort of his MO by now, and he likes to leave guys in their position they've been at for a long time. So for him to move Wiley yeah. from right guard where he's been all year out to right tackle, I'm thinking, well, of course, maybe you want to get Wisniewski in the mix. I think that has been a plan all along. But also, instead of putting Rankin out there, who might be better at the position, they opt to go with Wiley, who said after the game he hadn't played the position in years. So I just wonder about that. Andy Reid had some comments about this offensive line. We'll hear from that after the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Back here on the Editor's Show, we are at week 16. We are approaching the playoffs. The Chiefs playing the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday at 1 p.m. Arrowhead time. Great day at Arrowhead Pride. We got your Arrow headlines. I had mentioned Craig Stout did a fantastic film review you could check out. We have our AP power rankings. We have the national power rankings. We have our write-up on Elijah McGuire, the running back joining the Chiefs practice squad, and, of course, our playoff picture. You can go back and read some of our coverage from the game, Rapid Reaction, Five Things, Winners, Losers. Onward we go. But let's go back to Monday now and hear from Andy Reid. Reid did his usual Monday morning press conference with the Kansas City Media. We were just talking about the offensive line. Let's hear what the head coach has to say. Yeah, you know what? I, I thought they, Matt. I think I think they did a pretty and pretty nice job. I, uh, for the most part, and they, I talked to both of them after the game, and I mean, they tell you yeah, there are a couple they'd like to have back. Yeah, absolutely. But 
I mean, asking him to do what they did. Now, and, and Wiz coming off an injury. So it's really his first time in pads when you think about it. I mean, uh, since game one or week one. And uh, for him to step in and and be do a respectable job, I thought was, you know, was good. And then uh, Wiley, too. I mean, that's that's not easy when you're out on that edge. That's a, that's a little different deal out there. So, uh, but I thought he handled it well. And, um, you know, like I said, there are a couple of snaps they'd like that back, but I, I think overall they, they did a pretty good job. And when they had to bear down uh, that fourth quarter, they, they did that. So there's a reason why you have offensive linemen in college. And I think the scouts and personnel staff is always like, well, he could be a guard maybe in the NFL. It's really hard to play tackle. That was one thing Wiley had said after the game, thrown into that tackle position. There just is so much space. You are on an island and it is you versus the defensive end and they could come out. They, they're fast. They're quick. They're getting more athletic by the year. It's, it's tough. And there were moments where Wiley got beat, especially I, I think about that sandwich play of Mahomes I forget who the other defensive end for the Saints was. I, b- I believe it was Jordan on the play where Mahomes got really his ribs crushed. And that is a, a blaring play that you remember. But I, I thought he had a pretty good game overall because we weren't calling his number often during the course of the game. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure it may have been the same play. I know there was one Mahomes sack. There were four in the game, so we've got some room to play with here. But I remember seeing one play where Wiley was behind Kelsey when Kelsey went out to chip the defensive end as he came around the edge. And the way the two of them were close to each other, Kelsey chipped the guy, went out on his route, and Wiley was out of position. Right Now, it wasn't because Wiley, you know, had just blown the play. It was that Kelsey was in his way. Right. And when... Kelsey disengaged. The guy had too much space, as you mentioned, that there's a lot of space there back behind the line of scrimmage. There was too much space for Wiley to engage the guy. Now, from the average fan's perspective, if you're watching that matchup, it may have looked like Wiley totally blew that play. But the way I saw it was that it just was Wiley's lack of experience on there, not to recognize he needed to get a little bit more outside so that when Kelsey disengaged, he'd be able to pick up the defensive end coming around. What's been interesting about this is fans have constantly been asking, well, when is Mitch Schwartz going to get back in the lineup? Herbie Teope of the Kansas City Star asked Andy Reid that this week. Yeah, he's uh, he's actually feeling a little bit better. Um, not all the way back, um, but but he's, he is feeling a little bit better. And we'll just see. I mean, we'll take it. He's a great communicator, so and we know he wants to play, but we just want to make sure, you know, that that he's okay, <laughs> you know, and I kind of leave that up to the docs and and uh, and Rick on that, and then obviously Mitch. So and coach, taking all that into consideration and understanding that the the regular season ends in two more weeks, how optimistic are you that he will be available for the postseason? I don't know that I, you know, hurry. We're just kind of taking it day day by day, week by week, and literally, and so we're just seeing how how he does here. Um, hopefully it calms down by, you know, by then or whenever, and he can get himself back out there. I mean, that's, you know, that's what we'd like, but we'll see how all that goes. I would, if you're a fan, be looking at 2021 for Mitch Schwartz. That's just, I think where they're at. 
anytime the team says day to day, week to week, and literally, I think you know if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan that you may not be seeing that player for a while. And I think that extends to Schwartz. And I, I think that's why you're starting to see the Chiefs, as we had suggested in previous shows, John, um, Andy Reid must listen to the show. If they're going to shake up the <laughs> offensive line, you ought to do it with a few weeks to play so they can get used to one another. So I'm eager to see this about the O-line, and I'll, I'll leave that the conversation here. I wonder if Reed was so happy with the way it performed when Remmers is presumably about back and ready to go and healthy in a couple weeks, if he gets reinserted there, or do they try this against the Falcons and what would be the Chargers? I'm also wondering if they're still tweaking the right side of the line, do they get reps against the Chargers and what we're projecting at AP to be a meaningless game? Do Are they in the mix to continue to get them geared up and ready for the playoffs? Because that's a long break. I mean, you certainly want the bye week, but when you're still trying to figure out the offensive line, which runs on chemistry and rapport, I wonder about that. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair point to be wondering about. Um, you know, there's going to be plenty of incentive for the Chiefs to get some rest for their starters. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a game, regardless of how the next couple of weeks go, I don't think we're going to see a game where none of the starters play for the whole game. I think Andy Reid's tried that, and it doesn't always work. He doesn't want to do it again. I think it'll be more like a preseason game where we see starters in there for a quarter or two, and then everybody else comes in so that they get they can stay sharp, but... Um, they're not taking a, a large risk of injury in what we hope will be a meaningless game. Um, but that said, I wouldn't be surprised to see at least the right side of the offensive line stay in there for the whole game uh, when it doesn't count because they are going to need that chemistry. And Reed's on record as saying that that's something that he likes to see in his offensive line. So I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that part of the starting the starting lineup stays on the field for an entire game in that circumstance. A lot of offensive line talk in this episode. If you're still awake, it's time to talk about a cornerback, <laughs> rookie Legarius Sneed, the fourth rounder, who's done a really, really, really nice job in a lot of roles for the Chiefs this year. Andy Reid had some nice comments about him on his Monday morning press conference. Both his position coaches um, and then Spags and Brett were real high on him. And so we kind of did the waiting game. Brett you know, did what he does. I mean, he's got a real knack for knowing where and when guys are, are potentially going to be picked. And so, um, I, you know, we, we waited a little bit there and, and it worked out for us. Uh, but uh, the guys, you know, everybody saw this talent and, and, and the kid and, and thought that he could work in. Now, what – we didn't think was that he'd be playing nickel for us. So that's a tough spot. That's way different than the corner spot. So when he, when he came back of a, the injury part of it, he, we moved him back into inside position and there's a whole lot of learning going on there. Um, and what you're seeing now is him getting the hang of this and things are picking up again for him. He did a nice job. Uh, when 21 was out for those couple games there that he stepped in and did a good job at corner. But again, this whole nickel thing is a different, that's a different animal. So he's in there, um, you know, and he's just kind of getting the feel. I mean, we're, again, we're all witnessing it right here in front of us. So but he did a nice job yesterday. Now I haven't lost sight of the idea that you could say this about a lot of the members of the chiefs, but 
where I think it's important is we're going to say this about a fourth round rookie, day three. If the Chiefs had not taken Sneed, would they be 13 and one? I don't know. Because you inject Sneed recently and Tyron Matthews' play has improved. Yeah. And you've seen him make plays in one score games the last few weeks. Early on, no Bashad Breland. He locked down that position and the Chiefs went four and oh. I know he got hurt, I believe it was week three, but still a part of those first couple wins. One against the Chargers that came down to 23 to 20, a dominant performance against the Baltimore Ravens. And so I I just wonder where the Chiefs would be if it wasn't for Sneed. And I know we are always questioning the draft picks. It's it's part of it now. And it's cool that fans are so into the NFL draft. <laughs> but this was clearly a pick the Chiefs 100%, 1 million percent nailed. Right. And I think the reason that they are nailing these picks is that they consider every one of them to be important. And I think that's something that's easy for us to forget when we're looking at it from the outside uh, and say, oh, this guy in the sixth round, he's just going to be a special teams guy. You he's mean when we're on day five. three of the draft and I have four right. hours total of sleep the last three nights right. and I don't want to talk yeah. about Bo Pete Keys? Yes, I, I, <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think it's real easy to do that right. is to just concentrate on the first two or three rounds of the draft and say, okay, these are the guys that we're going to count on. But the Chiefs clearly don't look at it that way. They demonstrated that when they traded back into the draft to get a, a a guy like Keys himself, you know they didn't want to they didn't want to wait until next year to get a guy in that spot. They said, "This is a guy we want. Let's give up a pick from next year and get back in there and get him." And that's the sign of a team that considers every draft pick potentially important. Not all of them will turn out to be important, but any one of them really could be. And and this is great evidence of that, that we've got this fourth round guy who has made a substantial impact on the Chiefs this season. As far as we know, it seems like, and this is a little draft note, that the Chiefs might have gotten another sixth rounder next year from their seventh rounder conditional from the Dolphins for DeAndre Washington. And Washington had to start against the Chiefs. And so I wonder if that was the condition where he had to be up. I mean, this is the weird thing about sometimes with the draft, we'll see where the Chiefs are picking. I know the team will eventually release that officially, uh, but those little moves do matter. You know, yeah. you would not think you sometimes see cornerback X, who everybody knows because he's a cornerback in the National Football League, traded for fourth round pick. And you're like, oh, only a fourth rounder? That's a luxurious need, you know? And so mm-hmm. we're paying attention to those little moves that we sometimes see in the offseason and otherwise at the deadline, uh, so on and so forth. When we come back, we will reveal our questions as we start Chiefs-Falcons week. The Chiefs win, and they have an AFC buy. Stay with us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, coming up in a few moments, we will reveal the best Chiefs thing we heard all week. But first, we have our Chiefs and Falcons questions. And I will start with this because I think it's important for the future of the Chiefs and how they perform potentially in the NFL playoffs if this is the tandem. But how will Le'Veon Bell and Daryl Williams look in this new one-two punch that the Chiefs are going to be working with? We project that Clyde Edwards-Alaire will not be available for Chiefs and Falcons. I think we can almost assume that. Falcons are eighth in the league 
yards per game at stopping the run. So it's a nice challenge there. I think they're going to look pretty good. I saw some moments from Le'Veon Bell last game that reminded me of the days when he was in the yellow and black and torturing the Chiefs by staying patient and waiting and having a snack and then finally passing the line of scrimmage (laughs) for 25 yards. I'm seeing little glimpses of that, and I would like Bell to be able to have a game here. And unfortunately, it's at the expense of Edwards Alaire. I don't want that, but I, I like to see him get a game where he can get into rhythm. I know he basically played that other night where Edwards Alaire was waiting on the sideline, but just knowing that he's the guy for the next game or two and maybe more. It sometimes makes a difference in mentality, and I'm eager to see how he performs. And then, of course, good to see Darrell Williams back in the mix, who was having a pretty good year before he was pseudo-replaced when Bell came into the lineup Mm -hmm. and he took the RB2 spot. Yeah, you know, the only real difference between Bell today and Bell in the yellow and black is the offensive lines. Right. Really. I mean, you know, the the Chiefs offensive line, as I said before, did a great job in blocking for the run against the Saints, and that's good. But to say that they're on the level of what those Steelers offensive lines were like when Bell was having his best years is is just not fair. They they there's no comparison between those two groups. And that's not to that's not to be banging on the the Chiefs offensive line. They've they've just had too many problems. They're doing the best they can with who they have available. And I'm 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 credit the work that that Andy Heck has done to make these guys serviceable in the NFL. But you know, watching Bell today compared to the way we watched him when he played for the Steelers, he looks slow. But he's not. He's remained patient. He's still looking for that hole. There just aren't as many of them. So I, I agree. I think this will be real interesting to see how this plays out against the Falcons on Sunday. You can say it, John. I know that Eric Bieniemy would. Andy Heck, heck of a job coaching up those <laughs> offensive. Well, line. I don't say everything that Eric would say. I will say this. We can get to your next question now. Yeah, I'm wondering if the Chiefs can stay focused uh, on a game that some people are already considering meaningless. I mean, I'm already seeing people saying, oh, we should we should rest against the, the Falcons and go all in against the Chargers. First of all, I don't think Andy Reid's going to do that. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be his. He's not going to be tempted to look at the Falcons game as meaningless, not when there's a chance it could uh, clinch the bye for the Chiefs because it certainly is that. But I think it's hard for players to stay focused. As Andy Reid mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they've got those phones attached to their hands. They can't just stay away from the newspaper right. and uh, to remain unexposed to what the media is saying about the team. It, they just can't avoid it anymore. And there's a lot of talk about how this game is meaningless. And I think it's going to be hard for the players to, to filter out that noise and focus in on winning this game. Yeah, I think it's worth the question. I I just I have so much faith right now in Mahomes and Matthew that mm-hmm. yeah. I, it's hard to see with this team. I think they get the job done. They're so much better than the Falcons. I, I mean, you watch this Falcons team. Falcons have all these good starts this year and they end up blowing games, but they are demoralized right now. Tom Brady just did it to them again. They were up 17 nothing in that game against Brady last week. I... I, I want to see the Chiefs go in and roll over a team they're better than 
I think it's important we see it before the playoffs. So there aren't these questions. You mentioned the phones attached to the hip. I'm seeing on all these national talking head shows with part of the interruption and Colin Cowherd and what's with the one score games. The Chiefs play everybody close. You're so much better than the Falcons. I've been asking for this on the podcast for three weeks. Go win a game by 21 points. All right. Building off of your point there. Can the Chiefs win a definite, meaningless game <laughs> against a Falcons team that's inferior? I just nailed on all the points. I forgot that that was my second question. I don't have to repeat myself, but I'm curious about it, as you can tell, because I wrote it down in my sheet here. Speeding up to question number four, John, what's your next question? I'm wondering if the Falcons are more dangerous than we realize. Another point of disagreement with you on 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 this, Pete, because I'm looking at what they've done when uh, Raheem Morris came in. Um, he won several games out of, was it three of uh, four when he came in as the head coach, something like that. They've lost three in a row, but look at who, look at the teams to whom they lost. They lost to the Saints. By five points, they lost to the Chargers by three. They lost to the Buccaneers by four. And, um, you know, there's they've stayed in these games. And, uh, you know, we see head coaches come in midseason all the time, and they tend to get a little bounce when that happens. Sometimes that bounce only happens for a game or two. But um, he's actually done a good job with the team up to this point, and they may be a better team than we realize. Well, everybody always wants to shock the Chiefs, too. And I think you got to remember sure. that going into every single game. And you know that this would be a monumental win for Morris in his case to keep that job. I believe he's only an interim head coach. I don't think yeah, they've right. officially hired him or anything like that. And so this would be a massive victory to accomplish getting a job, essentially. I know he was a Bucks coach years ago, and this is sort of his second crack at that. I mean, I, I don't want to just gloss over the Falcons skill position players. I don't know if Julio Jones will play in this game and Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, uh, Hayden Hurst has had a nice season. I know that Todd Gurley is going to be probably a non-factor because they are trying out their younger running back and Gurley, it's terrible. He continues to have problems with this arthritis, but they have the offensive weapons, I think, to stick with the Chiefs. That's part of it when you're going to be competitive with Kansas City. I just think the Chiefs offensively are better than what this Falcons defense can do to defend them. And it's going to be a point of going into this Atlanta game and saying we're going to control it from the beginning to the end. That, that's something that I think about, too. I mean, the Saints were a little shorthanded. They had a lead in the second half in this game. And I, yeah. I you know, and, and I think I'm just left sometimes asking why, why. And I'm going back to question three again. I'm, going to say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, my last question is record watch. <laughs> Will Travis Kelsey break the NFL tight end yardage record and will Tyreek Hill break the team touchdown record? I believe Kelsey needs 60 or so yards. I know we'll have an exact number up on the website and Tyreek Hill just needs the one touchdown to break the franchise record for touchdowns. He had his 15th last week tying Dwayne Bow. And to me, this is important because Coach Reed Andy Reid does like to allow guys, if even if he calls it a rest week, to play if they're chasing things like this. So if Tyreek Hill doesn't get his touchdown against the Falcons, he may want to play for a little bit next week. Travis Kelsey doesn't break the tight end yardage record, which we expect him to because he's just been automatic, seemingly, with not having more than one game in a row without 100 yards. He was under 100 last game. I think they get it. I also am wondering 
if Kelsey will be in the mix for the yardage for the entire year. I mean, I, I know that that might be something he, he wants to chase. We'll see. But I'd like to see them accomplish these records in this game. So if they're down with resting and Andy Reid wants to make that move, maybe they're able to get off their feet and get ready for the playoffs, have two weeks where they are fresh going into that divisional round game. You know, Reed said something interesting. Was it this past week where he said he didn't know that uh, Kelsey was coming up on that record? It might not have been Kelsey, but uh, but he just said he didn't wasn't aware of the record, wasn't right. aware that it was pending, that it could be coming up. And uh, he seemed to speak as if uh, it would make a difference to him, which I found a little bit surprising. Normally, a head coach is going to be, well, we're going to do what's best for the team, and that's it. I don't yeah. care about your individual records. Get out See, of my face. He sometimes Andy Reid will say things, but and I, we've talked about it earlier on the show. But like he he allowed Mitch Schwartz to play in a meaningless game. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you could say whatever you want at the podium. Clearly, this was important to Mitch, and if it's important to the yeah. player, this is a player's coach. This is why Andy Reid right. had a million text messages when he won the title last year. This is a perfect mm-hmm. example. So. That's why I wonder, you know, it takes someone who has covered the team for a while now. That's why I wonder about these records in this game. Because I think if you're a Chiefs fan, you would like to see Kelsey and Hill sit that final week. Why risk the injury? Why, you know, but can't you see Travis Kelsey, as much as he says records don't matter at the podium, don't you think he's going to want to go for the receiving tight end record? Don't you think that he might even still want to play if he's neck and neck with a DeAndre Hopkins or Stefan Diggs for the receiving record, which has never been done by a tight end before? It's a minor storyline to watch, but I find it very interesting. Yeah, and, and we will be watching it because everybody's going to be watching it. We're all going to be thinking about it. We're all going to be talking about it. And I would I would not bet against that those players are thinking and talking about it too. The question is, are they mentioning Andy? <laughs> Chiefs Falcons, noon, arrowhead time. Keep it locked in. Arrowheadpride.com. Now it's time for the best Chiefs thing we heard all week. And John, you stumbled onto it. And for those at home that are listening, I never tell John the best Chiefs thing. I want him to hear it for the first time when I played for you guys. And LaShawn McCoy was recently on the Adam Lefko show, and he was asked about the leadership styles of Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. McCoy was on the Super Bowl team last year. Really not a huge contributor, but he was on the team. Got to see Patrick Mahomes lead. Now he's with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady. Tom is so poised. I mean, if we're up 20 or down 20, he's the same. He's a different breed. Yeah. So you play with Patrick Mahomes. And you talk about poise, being able to do anything you want with the football. He has that ability. Now you're playing with the greatest of all time. Just compare the two when you look at how they approach the game and what they're able to do out there on the field. Yeah, they, they both were great leaders. Um, it's so different. Like, Pat is younger, so Pat's like, you know, he'll, he'll talk to us and motivate us, but he'll go on the field and make a ridiculous play. Like, okay, two guys are blitzing, he'll step up and step out and roll around and throw a sidearm pass down the field. He'll, 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 he motivates and leads um, a lot by his play. You know, and Tom's kind of the same. Um, he's older, so his is more like the approach of, um, like, talking to us, you know, um, I'm leading us, you know, making us stay calm, not bickering, not fighting. And then when you see a leader has that approach, you kind of just follow it. Just, they're so similar but so different. You could tell one's younger than, than the one's older. And I could see Pat uh, kind of forming to that as he gets older. You know, I could see Tom probably 
when, when he was younger, he probably was like Pat, you know. So I was blessed to play both of them, both of them guys. And um, I mean, it's the way that they lead, man. Like, like it's like having an offensive coach on the field. This hit me weird because I just think back to Kansas City three years ago. The idea that a quarterback would be here in his third year with legitimate comparisons to Tom Brady, who consensus is the best quarterback to ever do it. You wouldn't believe it if, if we had said it. And here they are in great position to maybe go on their back-to-back Super Bowl run. And that's something that Brady was able to accomplish. And he's so ahead of schedule. And I understand they played in a little bit of a different era, but he's so ahead of schedule when it comes to Brady and touchdowns. This was just another sign of it where you have a veteran, McCoy. McCoy, he doesn't care. He's not just going to say this, but saying, yeah, they're kind of different because of their age, but there's that similar leadership gene. I just think we're so fortunate to really be in, in what is going to be the golden age of Chiefs football. I'm thankful for it every day. I mean, I don't even know how to express it sometimes. We've run out of adjectives. Uh, sometimes we've run out of even ways to say it. Right. But it's 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 incredible to watch on a week-by-week basis. Uh, we had examples of Mahomes being amazing on Sunday, and we've already had, what, 112? I mean, you know... <laughs> Right, where, where we, there aren't enough. There aren't enough tally marks to put on the the wall there to keep track of all of it. Now they have these Hall of Fame highlight reels. Good luck. I don't know. There are so many <laughs> plays that he has made that would have made other people's highlight reels because they've just been better yeah. plays than they had on the three minute reel or whatever. And I. I don't know what you pick and choose by the end of this thing. Good luck because you already have a lifetime of some of these other Hall of Famers of clips that you could pick out right now. You could, have, you could pick them out right now. Plays you remember. Incredible to watch. Anyway, not about Mahomes. It's about the Falcons. It's about the bye. It's about getting the bye this week. Keep it locked in at ArrowheadPride.com. We'll have your news and updates, your injury reports. John, want to say to you, have a happy and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to those of you out there. Whatever you celebrate, happy holidays. Hope you guys are enjoying it with family as best you can during this coronavirus outbreak. For John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. You can catch us at Arrowhead Pride on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everything. We'll see you next week.